Hello and welcome to the Seville Productions Purpose Podcast. I'm your host, Rupert McConnick, founder and EP at Seville Productions. I'm delighted today to have Adam Khan, Chief Creative Officer, Ray Midwest, as a guest. Welcome, Adam. How are you doing? I'm good. How are you? Thank you for having me. Yeah, my pleasure. So, so just jumping in, Adam. Uh, tell us about your background, where you're from, and and how you ended up at a career in a, you know in the agency world, and what agencies have you worked with, and so on. Sure, sure. Um, so, I grew up in uh, New Jersey. So I'm a I'm a I'm a Jersey kid, um, but I've lived all over the country. And uh, when I was living out in LA, I was an art department. PA on movies and was kind of struggling. And my buddy uh, who worked at Gray New York actually said, uh, they're looking for some young digital talent. Uh, and this was back in, uh, I think 2005, 2006, you know, coincidentally, I was doing a photo shoot, uh, for my friend's band in New York and came in and interviewed with Tim Mellers, the old, uh, global CCO at, at Gray New York and uh, got the job on the spot, and I moved from LA to New York in two weeks. It was pretty crazy. There we go. And what sets Gray Park compared to other agencies? I, you know, I think it is getting harder and harder to distinguish which agency does what these days. Let's let's be honest. You know, I think at the end of the day, we we all have brands, similar brands, different brands. It comes down to the people. I think the people and what they bring to the day to day. And I think you know, over the past couple of years, uh, we've developed beyond just storytellers, and we've started to focus on how we can offer a full funnel approach to any brand. So everything from awareness and TV down to commerce and performance. And I think our development across that, from a broad perspective has helped separate us from the pact in a lot of ways. We've we've invested a lot in technology, center of excellences from shopper to commerce, uh, AI, Web3. And uh, I think we're starting to see how that is paying off this year and going into next. Great. And, and tell us a little bit about some of the brands you work, you work with and what's been the, a memorable brand to work with over the years? Sure. So I've... I've been fortunate to have worked at a bunch of different agencies from gray to rap to back to gray to uh possible and small shops and then and then uh and then gray again for the third time. I think uh you know it is hard to pick one favorite one. Um if I had to land it, I'd say Verizon was one of one of the best experiences from a, a brand perspective I worked on. And obviously I love the clients I work for today, but that that brand in that time period, I thought was doing something really progressive and innovative. And although, you know, there were they were in the midst of a telecom wars with T Mobile and they're always changing prices on a daily basis, I think that they wanted to figure out how to infuse technology into all their executions. So I primarily focused on branded entertainment and our goal was to figure out how to 
promote the 4G LTE network during live events. And that was a really tough challenge uh, because you not only had to, to work with uh, uh, Verizon, but then the networks themselves and do something epic and innovative. Uh, and you only had one chance to do it and you couldn't mess up. And, and through that two-year time period, we did some incredible things. Uh, one was the social imprint where we created fashion out of social conversation during Fashion Rocks and leveraged social media and social conversation during the live event. Um, we also created the first crowdsourced TV commercial for Beyonce's VMA Vanguard Award, all using the 4G LTE network. So I think that was like a really fun time period to be challenged with the fast pace and the caliber in talent you were working with, and also trying to be above where people were within technology. We did a bunch of things that, you know, in a lot of ways failed because they were ahead of their time. Like we tried doing, you know, Snapchat filters before filters were actually a thing with a Nickelodeon. Um, but it was definitely one of the most memorable time periods where it was challenging, fun, um, a lot of grueling late night hours, but at the same time, I think pushed us harder to think innovative, innovatively throughout you know our day to day experiences. Uh, tell us about uh, uh, developing strategies for brands in the Web three space. Sure, I think developing strategies in Web three, in my opinion, can be a little challenging, also a little obvious. I think at the end. You know, when it comes to Web3, I've been in the space for over three years now, and it is really about being on the ground floor, talking to communities and actively participating, which is, for the most part, foreign to brands when you think about it, because they're used to paid, organic, long timelines, you know, buying media, uh, and they, they can build momentum to a moment. But in Web3, it's always on 24-7 and it's global. And it exists in places where brands don't have as much control. So uh, most of Web3 sits in Discord, within multiple communities, and in Twitter. And when brands come into the space, that idea of always on feels a, a, a little challenging. One, to support it from a staffing perspective. And two to understand uh, that they have to generate content hourly. <laughs> so when you think about strategies for brands coming in, you really have to ask the question of like, why, why do we want to do this? Just like anything else, like why are we creating this new product, this campaign? Um, and when it comes time to fine-tuning what the strategy will be, I think that you have to realize that the roadmap that you might create will ultimately have to evolve throughout its existence to stay on pulse within what's happening in Web3. And it's different. It really is because it's more centered around crypto um, and the different innovations, uh, utilities, and offerings that the community wants you to bring to the table. And as much as the brand or brands would love to dictate what they want to do, I think at the end of the day, brands need to realize that they have to crowdsource what the community also craves to be successful in the space so it doesn't feel like a money grab. 
but more of a participatory relationship that is going to coexist together and co-create. Right. That makes, that makes complete sense. So um, tell us about your NFT work and why skeptics should not discount the industry. So I got into the NFT space um, similarly to everyone else who was sitting at home during the pandemic with little to do and, and turned on Twitter and heard people talking about, you know, this crypto and, and crypto punks. And when I got into the space, I started off as an artist. Uh, it's been 10 years, really, since I did any art. Obviously, I focused my entire career on advertising. And what I think has always been interesting about the NFT space is that there is a track record for everything you do. Um, and as someone who always wanted to sell art but didn't know how to do it, it actually taught me, retaught me how to advertise. <laughs> uh, I mean, you know, when I came in in 2006, right, we had three things. We had TV, print, and radio. And over time, we've incorporated all these other these channels. But when it came to the NFT space, I had to learn not only how to really be an artist and market myself as an artist, but I had to relearn advertising in a space that didn't support traditional media. Um, and why I think it's going to stand the test of time is because NFTs allow you to play with products in ways that are traditional platforms and objects don't allow us to, to play. So, you know, when it started, it was just about art. Uh, but now as the technology has progressed so fast, you can take everyday objects um, like a stuffed animal or a coffee cup and connect it to the blockchain and utilize NFT technology to almost create a uh, virtual store in your home 24-7. So you don't even have to open a browser. You can walk up to an object, wave your phone, uh, and it'll unlock a whole new world. So I think with the NFT space, it has been deemed this one thing. But like others have said, it's so much bigger than just art um, and, and physical you know, black hoodies. It really is this underlying technology that's going to power so many of the things that we use uh, and give you the ability to adapt, shape, and mold over time that becomes mutually rewarding, not just for the, the customer, uh, but for the brand as well. So I, I think uh, we've only just seen the beginning of what the NFT space will be. And how do you feel about the metaverse? I mean, I listen, I'm a gaming nerd. I love video games. So I think this idea of the metaverse has been around for so long. Uh, similar to the NFT space, we've seen a bubble. It's burst. We've seen another bubble. But I'm excited about how the metaverse is going to take shape. Uh, over the next couple of years, I think, you know, we, we talk a lot about Roblox, but we don't talk about it as a metaverse yet at the same time, it really is this new creator economy that sits on top of a platform that is empowering people to create and financially, um, be supported by a virtual marketplace that is thriving, not just off, you know, uh, kids, but brands wanting to tell immersive stories in a new and interesting way. And I think that that for me 
has always been what excites me about jumping into the sandbox, Decentraland, Spatial, or Roblox, um, is that you can go anywhere, you can be anyone, uh, and the way in which you tell stories doesn't have to be linear, but more immersive and dimensional. And I think that's going to be really challenging for advertisers at the end of the day, because your traditional formats have to be um, more modular and they have to be dimensional in a way that doesn't always lead you down one path, but gives you the user, the ability to almost create your own version of what the brand wants to tell you. And do you think, um, do you think this would make, make sense to advertise on, on, on there because there's no one there? <laughs> so I do think it makes sense for brands to start thinking about how their, their materials are going to have to change in shape and size. I, I do think that, yes, no one's there right now. I don't think that's entirely true. I think, I think you're getting less PR and media jumping into the metaverse every day, checking it. But obviously, Roblox is huge. Fortnite, to some extent, is a metaverse. These open world games that are coming out on Xbox and PlayStation are also pseudo metaverses. I, I do think that brands shouldn't wait to explore how the new creator economy that sits above NFTs, Web3, AI, and the metaverse are all going to play a role in how brands survive in the future. I think you're starting to see more headlines in ad age talk about the creator economy, like it's this new thing um, and how brands need to jump on it and partner with smart talent. But in reality, it's always been there. It just looks different. It feels different. And although we're not maybe viewing it on a daily basis, uh, I know that brands are building in the background, waiting for that moment to come where you're blending reality and virtual reality in a way that's more seamless and not so it's this and it's that, and uh, it's less defined. So do you think we should advertise on it? <laughs> I do. I, I do if it makes sense. Right. You know, I, I think there's so much that you can do in virtual worlds that you can't do in reality. That's why for when we created the House of Flavor for McCormick, it really was about trying to give a sensorial experience to people who knew nothing about this new flavor of Vietnamese Cajun. And it gave us the ability to, in some regard, uh, fantasize a little bit um, about how all these flavors could come to life and give people an experience that we couldn't give you in reality outside of tasting the food um, at a counter. So I think if there is a real purpose and intent and an offering that you want to give someone, yeah, it makes sense. And if there is demand for it as well, you know, I don't think brands can just jump in and expect people to come. I think, you know, when you go back to your, your question about developing a strategy in Web3, you know, it all starts with, do you even have the audience and the fan base? And when you look at a lot of brands on Twitter who have no PFPs uh, in their followers, so profile pics of, you know, NFT characters they like, uh, you really have to think hard about how are you going to attract this audience to go to your destination. It's like anything. Um, you know, that, I think that's a very good point. So 
what about the other things like VR and all those things? Because there's been a, a sort of wave of new things. <laughs> and then they sort of disappear, you know, they're like the emperor's new clothes. Do you think, I mean, do you think some of these things are here to stay? Or are they just sort of fads? I mean, listen, I love this stuff too much to think it's a fad. Um, I think, you know, obviously VR and AR have been around for a really long time. Um, I mean, it's funny. I, I love how AR has had this like um, resurgence because I remember back in 2010, people showing me how you can, you know, wave your phone over a um, movie poster and bring it to life. Um, and that was what, 13 years ago. So I think that, you know, these bubbles are coming when all of a sudden this new technology confuses everybody. Like what are NFTs? What's all the hype? What does it mean? You have digital ownership over something that isn't physical. What's this virtual, virtual place you can go to and, um, be someone you're not, you know, with AR and VR, I think we're just scratching the surface with Apple's vision pro. I think it's going to come out there's going to be a lot of hype there's going to be some lull but like when the app store came out you're releasing it because now you want people to create on a platform that you kept near and dear for so long until it was perfect so i think that this vision pro is going to start to unlock ar in ways that we haven't even been able to process how it works you know the the goggles and the the kind of the demo trailer that Apple put out, you know, it's just showing you, it's giving you enough of a, an idea of what it's capable of. That true potential is going to revolutionize industries like we've never seen. And I think like the example I use is, uh, let's say you're an interior decorator, right? You walk into uh, a new apartment, an empty house, and you've got your, your, your goggles on and you're like, okay, let's see, like, what does, you know, the restoration hardware couch look like? You throw it over there. What's that Samsung frame TV you put up on the wall? You grab curtains from West Elm, you grab something from Crate and Barrel, and all of a sudden, you have virtually decorated your living room in a way you were never able to before. You could walk around it spatially. I think the crux of it is going to be being able to purchase everything all at once. I think that's what's going to start to change things because you've seen the limitations of Pinterest, you know, mood boards up the wazoo. But when it comes down to purchasing your vision, it becomes a lot more challenging. So I think AR is going to start to um, bring us things that feel that much closer to being personalized because I can have it next to me <laughs> and acquire it faster than, than ever before. So, uh, yes, I'm super excited about it. You almost want Etsy and Pinterest to combine, right? It's, yes. Almost, yes. I mean, that's sort of where it should go, but I'm surprised they haven't. That and through. shop, right? Because yeah. then you can just kind of purchase. Exactly. So, so, um, are you still doing, you know, traditional TV commercials or is that something you just moved away from? Yeah. Completely? Yeah, no, absolutely. I mean, at, at, at Gray Midwest, we really do everything from, from TV all the way down to performance marketing. So uh, it just depends on the mix of, of client. You know, some of our clients still um, get great results through traditional media. Um, and then some of our other clients who are a little bit smaller 
choose to use Amazon as their, you know, as their, as their storefront. And there's, there's a lot of validity and value in that getting a customer to see the benefits of the products and the details in ways, um, you might not be able to tell, uh, on TV, but for the most part, we're still doing everything from TV, OLV, OTT, uh, you name it. Um, I think storytelling at the end of the day is still going to persist and be existent within everything. What would you be your advice to young professionals working in marketing? You got to love this stuff. (laughs) (laughs) You know, it is. I think it's a really good question. Here's the thing. I think, I think if you really love creativity, this industry has so many incredible benefits. I mean, you get to work on amazing brands, everything from, you know, the obscure to the fast and the furious, right? You get tampons, dish soap, cars, electronics. Um, if you really love creativity and storytelling, this industry gives you the ability to flex across brands you never would have imagined working on. Um, and it, it really gives you an opportunity to, f- to showcase your craft, whether it's from art or copy. Um, my advice would be to, to learn as much as humanly possible and don't try and run to the top, uh, but to find great mentors that you can learn from. Um, and, and not just learn how to make great work, but how to navigate the politics, the relationships. So when you get to the top, you understand the business element as much as uh, the creative side. What industry campaign has made you the most excited over the last few months? Could be something you've done or something you've seen. Yes. Yeah, so I have a, f- I have a few. I think one of the things that's excited me about Heinz Ketchup is they, in my opinion, they've they've done a lot of experimenting. Um, and I listen. I haven't been following them, you know, every single day. But but I thought what was really interesting during the pandemic is when they came out with this red puzzle. <laughs> Um, I mean, just think about that. It's like kind of laughable, a ketchup company coming out with a red puzzle. And I think over time, uh, what I've appreciated about Heinz is they've, uh, as an outsider, tried to appeal to a newer generation, whether it's using AI to show how their brand mark is so iconic that when you think of ketchup, even AI thinks of Heinz, all the way to their collaborations with Absolute um, and Fortnite. They've done some really interesting things. So I don't know if you necessarily say it was like one campaign, but from a brand perspective, it feels like they are really trying to modernize uh, their perception as a, uh, as a ketchup brand uh, and appeal to new audiences and stay relevant. So I think uh, it's exciting to see them try everything from gaming to puzzles <laughs> To, uh, to AI. Wonderful. So, so Adam, it's been great having you on the show. Um, thank you very, very much indeed for joining us. Um, it's been very educational because I knew very little about this, this space. <laughs> well, thank you very much for having me. I appreciate it. It was really great talking with you as well. Thank you so much for joining us for this episode of Seville Productions Purpose Podcast. Learn more about Seville Productions and our work in the purpose and sponsored entertainment space www.sevilleproductions.com